welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Robert Lustig. He's an emeritus professor of pediatrics in the Division of Endocrinology and a member of the Institute for Health Policy Studies at UC San Francisco. He's the internationally acclaimed author of the popular works Fat Chance, Hacking the American Mind, and Metabolical. He lectures globally and consults with numerous medical societies and policy organizations to improve population health. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, Rob, welcome to the podcast. And Rob is somebody I've been to know over the last year or so. We've actually not quite met in person. We live really close to each other, but we are part of the same work groups, same sort of philosophy. And he gave a talk to our informal study group on the role of diet and also social media on inflammatory markers. And it's really a remarkable lecture. So I'm hoping to, te- to tease out about three days worth of information in about 25 minutes here. So this is going to be a challenge. So Rob, welcome to the show. Um, I just want to say one thing, quick thing. His book, he's, an, he's a, you are an endocrinologist as well as a neuroscientist. Right. And how did you get into the, I guess you get to the diet part of through your endocrinology work. I mean, your insights on diet are pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it, I really came at this through the back door. You know, this was not my jam, as they say, uh, initially. Um, I've always been interested in the hypothalamus. I okay. did a term paper in seventh grade uh, in science on the hypothalamus when Guillemin and Shally had discovered the first hypothalamic releasing factor, TRH, back in the- Can you explain to the audience what the hypothalamus is exactly? Because that's phenomenal that you actually knew the word hypothalamus or could pronounce it in seventh grade. So I'm impressed. (laughs) True. Um, So the hypothalamus is the most important square inch of your brain. Okay. It is Grand Central Station for mood, for emotion, for memory, for basically all of the functions that your brain does that are not cognitive. Okay. It is is the seat of the emotional brain. Okay. It is also the control of stress. It is the control of food intake. It is the control of you know, uh, of virtually everything and almost every um, uh, emotion runs through the hypothalamus, including pain. Okay. So then you got really into diet as a factor affecting the state of the hypothalamus. Is that a first statement? So, well, I became an obesity doctor. Uh, okay. And I didn't start out being an obesity doctor. I actually started out, you know, taking care of short kids as an endocrinologist. Okay. But then the short kids got fat on me, <laughs> you know, and this all happened on my watch, you know, from 1980 to about <clears throat> 2020, you know, those were the 40 years, you know, of, shall we say, massive horizontal growth. Right. And, you know, I was charged as an endocrinologist, like with figuring out what was going on. And um, I had a notion based on my neuroendocrine training that the hypothalamus was the seat of this phenomenon of increased uh, weight gain amongst everyone. Now, uh, there is a disorder that 
I, you know, was charged with taking care of, uh, which has been known since 1901, where damage to the hypothalamus results in massive obesity, right? And, the, you know, due to brain tumor or due to trauma, due to hemorrhage, due to stroke. <clears throat> and these uh, children and adults who, you know, succumb to, you know, whatever this trauma or, or you know, insult is, they gain weight extraordinarily rapidly. I moved to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, Pediatric Cancer Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, back in 1995 at exactly the same time that we discovered the hormone called leptin. Now, leptin is a hormone that your fat cells make that goes to your brain and tells your brain, hey, I've got enough energy on board to burn energy properly and to not eat everything in sight. So leptin turned out to be the thermostat for energy balance. And what we learned was that these children who had brain tumors, they had a problem with that signal. Leptin was not transducing the appropriate signal in the brain because that area of the brain had been damaged. Well, I was faced at St. Jude with a cadre of about 40 kids who had survived their brain tumor only to become massively obese. And okay. I had to do something about it. Now, I knew from my neuroendocrine training that there was a pathway from that hypothalamus to the pancreas. And that uh, pathway released insulin. And I knew that these children, when they'd been studied, had extremely high levels of insulin. And so I said, well, maybe because they can't see their leptin, their, their brain is telling their pancreas to put out all this insulin to make more fat because they can't see their leptin. And so in other words, the you know, negative feedback was, uh, was uh, uh, dysfunctional. It, you know, they basically you know, were in a vicious cycle because of the inability to transduce that leptin signal. Well, what so, so, the problem ended, so the problem ended up being um, just really high doses of insulin then? Right. So the insulin was being released from the pancreas in an attempt to generate more fat. Okay. In an attempt to generate a higher leptin, but the brain still couldn't see it because the brain was damaged. Right. Got it. So how do you fix that? Well, I said, yeah. <clears throat> what if we gave these kids a drug that suppressed insulin release? And there was a drug available to me that I knew about called octreotide. What's it called? Octreotide. Okay. And uh, it was well known, you know, to suppress growth hormone, but it was also known to suppress insulin. So okay. I said in 1995, what if we took these kids and gave them octreotide? Would it help them? So we did a pilot study and lo and behold, eight patients and they all got better. And they started losing weight. But more importantly than just the fact that they were losing weight, which is in, in and of itself remarkable, they started exercising spontaneously. Okay. Kids who sat on the couch, ate Doritos, and slept. They had lost all interest in their world around them. They had no energy to participate in life. And now, all of a sudden, the parents were calling me up on the phone saying, 
Dr. Lustig, something's happening, you know, and this was in a, within a week of receiving the medication. They hadn't lost any weight yet. And the parents could already see changes in their behavior. And they started exercising spontaneously. One kid wow. became a competitive swimmer. Two kids started lifting weights at home. One kid became the manager of his high school basketball team, running around wow. collecting all the basketballs. I mean, these were kids who were lumps on a log. These were kids yeah. who had lost interest in life, in, the, in school, in work, in doing anything. And now, all of a sudden, they've rejoined the human race. Wow. So I said, wow, this is pretty cool. Let me, up, let me back up just for a second just a review for myself and the audience okay so what was the drug again that you gave him it's called octreotide and what does it do exactly what it does is it is a somatostatin analog okay it binds to somatostatin receptors okay in the in the pituitary it binds to somatostatin receptors to reduce growth hormone Okay. And in the pancreas, it binds to somatostatin receptors to reduce insulin. So you're reducing insulin. Got it. That's right. So we're suppressing insulin release from the pancreas in response to a glucose load. Can I just stop you here just for a second? So I know we've looked into the story here, but about the weight loss is here, but why do you think they started to exercise based on lower insulin levels? Right. Why did they... You know what? I mean, it, the fact that they lost weight because their insulin dropped is one thing, but it changed their behavior. So we actually, in our next studies, we built in, number one, a quality of life questionnaire. And we also measured their resting energy expenditure. And what we saw was that these kids, even though they were losing weight, their resting energy expenditure went up. Now, normally when you lose weight, your brain sees the decline in leptin and says, whoa, I have to conserve. And that then tells your body, burn energy slower. And pretty much anyone who's ever been on a diet will tell you that the first five pounds are easy. And after that, it gets really hard. And the right. reason is because you ratchet down your rate of energy burning. Okay. Well-documented that your resting energy expenditure goes down as your leptin goes down. And the reason is because your brain recognizes the leptin going down and sees starvation. And when right. you're starving, then what your brain says is, well, I better not burn. I better sit on the couch and I better keep my energy expenditure low because food's not coming in. Got it. Well, these kids did the opposite all because I got their insulin down. And we showed that the degree of weight loss correlated with the degree of insulin suppression. Okay. And their improvement in physical activity correlated with their suppression of insulin as well. Because what was happening, in other words, okay, you have lower insulin, why would I have more energy? Well, think of it this way. Each of us is two compartments. There's your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, your muscles, your brain, which burn okay. energy. And then there's your fat, which stores it. Got it. Okay. Now, every molecule of glucose that you consume can go to one of the two compartments. It can go to you to burn or it can go to your fat to store. Now, what determines which way 
the glucose goes. Well, your insulin does. Got it. The higher your insulin, the more goes to your fat. The lower right. your insulin, the more goes to you. Now, normally, your fat would make leptin. Your leptin would tell your brain, hey, don't eat so much and burn it off. And that would be the yin-yang of energy balance. Got it. Because this negative feedback pathway that leptin is part of would be functional and working. But in these kids, it's not because of the brain damage. So everything was going to their fat because the insulin was high because their brain couldn't see their leptin. So the <clears throat> brain was telling the pancreas work harder. And so everything went to fat. Nothing went to them and they felt lousy and they kept gaining weight. So we fixed that. We treated that by suppressing the insulin. Now, instead of the energy going to fat, now it went to them. And Got so it. it improved their behavior. Got it. Interesting. So I'm going to switch gears here just for a second, because we're going to talk about, you know, your situation with inflammation and stuff like that. But I really think this is really critical to stay on this line of thinking, because I do want to say <clears throat> that you authored a book called Fat Chance, which actually changed my life as far as diet goes, because Very kind. High, maybe your other books are more important. But I mean, this book is incredible. Yeah. What he does, he simply goes through the biochemistry of food and why you would eat this versus eating that. Why, for instance, orange juice is so much more deadly than oranges because there's pulp. So it's all about insulin spikes. I do remember that very clearly is that we have high insulin spikes. It drives glucose into the core belly fat, correct? Yeah. The higher, did, I get, did I get part of the book right? Do I remember this? The higher your insulin, the more ends up as fat. Right. That's the, that's the nature of insulin. Insulin, you know, people think of insulin as the diabetes hormone. Really, right. the way they should think of it is insulin is the energy storage hormone. Okay. Whatever you don't burn, you store. And right. insulin is the way you store it. So what I'd like to do is finish this podcast in, in a little different note here. So I'd like to actually just to tease out some of these concepts you put into Fat Chance about how do you, because what, what's not desirable are insulin spikes, i.e. concentrated carbohydrates, spike insulin like crazy. But you made some nice concepts, uh, like for instance, we can just start with the idea of pulp versus juice like juicing for instance yep. is sort of a problem yep and so, so let's let's talk, let's talk about that just for a second I'm, I'm impressed with myself because i read the book like 10 years ago and i still remember these concepts really well <laughs> and so i'm excited about this i really changed the way i ate so i used to drink gallons of orange juice right. and when i read your book i said you know it's like drinking straight sugar indeed it is so we haven't even gotten to the question of sugar yet. Right. Um, because sugar makes that insulin go haywire all by right. itself. Right. Now, people say, well, then if sugar is a problem, how come fruit is okay? All right. And fruit right. is okay. Fruit is okay, but juice is not. Now, people say, well, aren't they the same? Well, no, they're not. They're not the same at all. In fact, they're very different. What is taken away when you take fruit and make juice? The fiber. The fiber turns out to be the most important part of the fruit. Okay. Okay. The fruit, the, the juice is nature's way of getting you to eat your fiber. Okay. 
All right. Interesting. Fiber turns out to be the antidote. Okay. When God made the poison, the sugar, he packaged it with the antidote, the fiber. Okay. So when you consume the two together, you're actually mitigating the negative aspects of fruit. Now, why is fiber important? After all, we don't metabolize it. That's true. It's not energy for us. That's true. Rather, it's energy for the microbiome. It is for your bacteria in your intestine. Okay. Something that maybe some of your audience knows, but you know, this is new and burgeoning information. You know, each of us is, you know, 10 trillion cells, but we have a hundred trillion bacteria in our intestine. Our bacteria outnumber us 10 to one. Each of us is really a big bag of bacteria with legs. <laughs> okay. Right? Now, made my day. Made my day. <laughs> those bacteria are actually telling your brain what to do. Okay. Okay. That is your second brain. Those bacteria in your gut is your second brain. And it is sending signals that it's happy or it's not to your brain all the time. And one of those signals happens to be serotonin. And that serotonin signal happens to be very important in the interpretation of pain. Right. So when your bacteria in your intestine are not happy and your serotonin levels are low, then you experience pain in a much more accentuated and uh, excruciating fashion. Interesting. So keeping your gut bacteria happy is really priority number one. Now, you eat food. The nutrients get absorbed through the intestine and get metabolized in the liver and in uh, other organs and go to the brain, you know, via the bloodstream. But the fact is that the bacteria in your intestine metabolize the fiber. The fiber is the food for the bacteria. Okay. Bacteria have the enzymes to be able to break that fiber down into stuff that they need for their growth. Okay. They make, for instance, short chain fatty acids, acetate, propionate, and butyrate, and they make it from the fiber. And it turns out that we use those short chain fatty acids too, because they suppress the immune response. They suppress the cytokine response. They limit how out of control your immune system goes. And in the orthopedic and rheumatologic and autoimmune literature, it's all about that cytokine response. In fact, in COVID, it's all about that cytokine response. We now know that if you die from COVID, it's not because of the virus, it's because of your immune response to it. Right. So controlling that cytokine response is actually pretty darn important. Well, the thing that does it are those short chain fatty acids and they got made by the bacteria, but only if they got the food they needed. Fiber. Fiber. Wow. So the fruit. Okay, I, did, I did not know that, um, but let me just make one other point, which I thought was really interesting. But you also pointed out that when you have oranges or apples or whatever, that the pulp or the fiber um, evens out the absorption of the sugars into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So you try and prevent the insulin spikes. That's right. So 
In fact, fiber has six, count them, six separate beneficial effects on our metabolism. <clears throat> These are, you know, shall, shall we say known, but not known. Okay. I mean, people know them, but they sort of don't really think about it. Number one, the fiber acts to cause gastric distension in your stomach, which can help contribute mechanically to feelings of satiation and fullness. Number two, the fiber, the soluble and insoluble fiber in the fruit will form a gel on the inside of the intestine. The insoluble fiber will form the lattice work like a fishnet and the soluble fiber, which are globular, will plug the holes in the fishnet. And so together, the soluble and insoluble fiber will coat the inside of the duodenum with a whitish gel. And you can actually see it on electron microscopy. And what that will do is it will present a secondary impenetrable barrier so that glucose, fructose, sucrose, simple starches do not get absorbed early on. Therefore, you don't spike your glucose. Therefore, you don't spike your insulin. And if you didn't absorb it in your, in your duodenum, it doesn't go straight to your liver where the liver would turn the excess into fat and generate this phenomenon called insulin resistance. So that gel that gets formed by the fiber is being is protective. It's protecting your liver and it's protecting your pancreas from having to overwork. Okay. Okay. Number three, the food moves down the intestine and then is becomes food for the bacteria because now once you pass the ligament of trites, once you get into the second part of the intestine called the jejunum, that's where the bacteria are. And so now it's a free-for-all. So instead of you absorbing everything, your bacteria get it. So isn't it great when you eat something and it passes your lips, but you didn't even get it? Talk about good things for weight loss, wow. right? Yes. Calories don't count if they got you know chewed up by your microbiome first. All right? gotcha. So the delay is a good thing. In addition, the fiber acts like grease. It, it move, it, it's greases the wheels, greases the skids, so that the food moves through the intestine faster, thus generating the satiety signal at the end of the intestine sooner so that you won't eat the second portion. So when you eat food with fiber, you're going to eat less. An example, my... Uh, cookbook co-author, Cindy Gershon. She's a nutrition educator in the East Bay in um, Mount Diablo Unified School District. And every year for, in her nutrition class, she did the same experiment. Took two kids from the class. And these are all kids who are, you know, low socioeconomic status, probably haven't eaten breakfast. And she picked two kids out of the class and she handed them both six oranges. And she says to the first kid, here kid, here's six oranges, make juice. So the kid squeezes the six oranges, gets 12 ounces, downs the whole glass and says, okay, what's for breakfast? Second kid, she says, here kid, here's six oranges. Eat the six oranges. Kid eats orange number one, orange number two, orange number three, gets to orange number four and throws up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Every single time on orange number four, that's it. Okay. She has the vomit basin ready because she knows it's coming. 
Okay. And the kid goes, oh my God, I'm going to die. Okay. And then the kid doesn't eat lunch or dinner. What happened? The fiber happened. The fiber generated the satiety signal because the fiber moved the food through the intestine faster. Okay. And so that the kid couldn't even eat the six oranges. Okay. So that's number four. Number five, the fiber, the soluble fiber gets turned into short chain fatty acids, which are anti-inflammatory as we discussed. And then finally, number six, the insoluble fiber acts like little scrubbies on the inside of your colon, getting rid of the colon cancer cells. Got it. So people who eat high fiber have a much lower <clears throat> risk for colon cancer. So six separate things that fiber does for you metabolically that are beneficial. And we're throwing the fiber in the garbage. Gotcha. Because we drink the juice. So Rob, um, this is fantastic. Uh, um, I'm going to finish this podcast up here. And I think we're going to not even try to hit the topic we talked about earlier. And I really want to follow through on this discussion about the um, fiber, the liver, your book, Fat Chance. I think we'll hit the other topics another day. But I just want to say that um, what uh, you've written the book, Fat Chance, which I think is a classic. I'm assuming that's still a book that you recommend people. Where, where's the starting point in your material? It's ten, it's 10 years old, but everything in it is still correct. Right. No, you just went right into the biochemistry food, which I thought was phenomenal. But I also want to talk about the liver effects on our next, next podcast. I think that's pretty interesting also. So you have Fat Chance. You also, one has, has Sugar 56 names. And what I want to talk about in the next podcast, that we haven't really even talked about sugar yet. Then you have the Fat Chance cookbook, um, The Hacking of the American Mind and Metabolical. So I, I can tell you it's hard to write books. I'm pretty impressed with <laughs> doing all this. So um, I have not read Metabolical, even though it's sitting here on my desk. If, if, the, if the audience was going to read one book to sort of change a concept of how they eat, because again, I'll just say clearly, we'll discuss this on, on another day. Your diet has a significant fact on your health, but also your perception of pain it makes a huge difference. So which one of those books would you have a person start with? Well, Metabolical is the most up-to-date. Metabolical okay. is also the most complete. But, you know, Metabolical's got some science in it. I mean, so, I mean, all my books have science in it. Right. Um, what I can say is that Metabolical has information that parents need to share with their doctors. Okay. So you like that book right now? I, I, think that that, I think that's the one. I actually wrote <clears throat> Metabolical for doctors. Okay. Uh, they just don't know it. <laughs> okay. So how about, how, 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 how about for, information to them? How about for patients, though, as far as about how to, I mean, I thought that the, the Fat Chance book really just taught me, it wasn't a diet book, a recommendation book, it just gave me the principles of what to eat. So for instance, I quit drinking orange juice. Right. Um, right. If, if you're a, looking for, if you're looking for what to eat, then Fat Chance is a better answer. Okay. If you're looking for what went wrong with our food supply, metabolical is a better answer got it okay well, rob thank you very much any other way to access your resources do you have a website or is it mostly your books right now that sure. no no i uh, i I'm, I'm you know i've got a big presence on social media robertlustig.com okay easy way uh you can find me at ucsf profiles.ucsf.edu and put my name in okay uh, uh you know twitter and you know instagram and all those you know um 
various uh, venues. Uh, I'm there in various ways. Um, I am not a big social media fan, but I do maintain a social media presence. Um, I'd rather communicate directly with the public and I'd rather communicate uh, through books. No, I appreciate that. We, as you know, my mission is to bring a lot of healing concepts into the domain, which covers a lot of turf, but the diet, again, as a surgeon, I've been incredibly nihilistic about it. We'll talk about that on the next visit, but um, yeah, this is really important stuff from a public health standpoint. And I'll finish off with a comment. And I remember you made this in the book, Fat Chance, it really, what there's basically 10 major food companies that control the world's food supply. And really what's going on now, it's not an accident that over two thirds of the American public is overweight or obese, but it's a um, it's sort of like the smoking was in the 60s that you have a really sort of a really unpleasant coming together of forces that they really have manipulated our food supply to the point that it really is just hurting our population in a big way. Everyone knows it. The question is what to do about it. Right. Uh, what I can say is that um, uh, many people are on this uh, topic now. The food industry knows. They denied right. it for decades. Okay, but they are now on notice. <clears throat> They've said they know. Right. Now the question is, what are they going to do about it? And I'm working with multiple uh, 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 actors in the in the space. <laughs> World Economic Forum, World Business Council for Sustainable Development. Um, I've got a line into Eat, Eat Lancet, you know, who published those papers in, uh, in Lancet uh, right. years ago. Uh, the bottom line is um, we have to feed 10 billion people by the year 2050. Right. At the same time, we have to make the food safe for human consumption. Right. So those well, two things are, and then we also have to deal with climate change at the same time. Right. Those three things are kind of like at odds with each other. And so we have to thread the needle, you know, between three competing priorities. And right. that is not easy to do. And that means that everyone has to be at the table. Right. Well, Rob, again, thank you very much. Um, I learned a lot this morning and uh, we'll talk in a few minutes. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. I'd like to thank our guest, Rob Lustig, for being on the show today and for sharing his insights about the new science of nutrition and, in particular, the beneficial role of fiber in our diet. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.